Hello and welcome to the third episode in the Wise Women in Waste podcast series with me, Debbie Hitchin, Director of Sustainable Production and Consumption at Anthesis, and Claudia Amos, Technical Director for Circularity, Resource Efficiency and Waste at Anthesis. If you joined us for the first two podcasts, you'll know that we're co-hosting a short series which uses informal conversation to explore trends and opportunities in our sector through lenses of women like us. We're inviting women who've inspired us and shared our career journey to join us as we discuss our passion for the work that we do, trends and opportunities and hot topics in our sector, and looking at them all through the insights of women. Today, we're delighted to be joined by fellow Anthesian Susan Harris, Technical Director for Circular Economy, who leads our Global Circular Economy Centre of Excellence. Susan, it's great to have you with us. Thanks for joining us. Could I ask you to start by introducing yourself, please? Thank you, Debbie. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So I'm Susan Harris. I'm a technical director here at Anthesis and I lead our Global Circular Economy Centre of Excellence, which is a collection of all of the experts on circular economy that we have across the globe at Anthesis. So I guess I've worked in this sector for nearly 20 years now. Like many in our sector, I suppose, a common track of starting out in sustainability with a focus around waste. And then as that agenda has moved on to resource efficiency, and then from in the sort of 90s and 2000s, and then as we've moved on from that, pushing the boundaries out to circular economy to a broader perspective on that. I started out working in Australia, where I'm from, working for a well-known sustainability consultancy there, ELP focusing a lot on the waste and resources agenda across the construction and mining sector primarily and others as well. And at that time, I also taught at the tertiary institution there, which I really enjoy. I enjoy the the education and engagement element as well. From there, I moved across to the UK, where I worked for a small consultancy called Business Eco. And that's where I originally met Debbie, who happened to know one of my colleagues there, so quite some years ago. And when I was working there, I I did a lot of work in the space that I guess then we probably called the kind of waste and recycling space, you know, helping companies address that agenda. As things moved on in the 90s, I guess we saw a lot of a focus on resource efficiency and building out from that to making efficient use of resources. And for me, that's always been something that's really interested. I'm also really interested in lean agenda. So looking at productivity and efficiency in general, I think it's something I've always been keen on. I'm quite frugal. I grew up in a rural area in Australia and my family, I guess, were what today you'd call hipster or sustainable. We always, you know, made things from scratch, waste not, want not, reuse and repairing were part of the way I grew up and I kind of enjoy having the opportunity to bring that into my work in the sectors that I work in a lot two of which are construction and the apparel sector I think those principles are really important and there's a lot of interest and enthusiasm in making the most of resources because those resources represent a large proportion of the cost for the end products in those sectors and disposal of, of waste and how you address that is very important. So I guess that's kind of led me towards this interest in this encompassing concept of circular economy. Susan, I'd like to ask you a question about reuse and repair. In your introduction, you mentioned that you were an early hipster adopter. You know, that was important to you. Making the most of things was important to you. And I feel a little bit like 
that's the next big opportunity in circular economy. I mean, the right to repair and those sorts of initiatives that are being driven under regulations from Europe, particularly, I think is forcing organisations to think differently. And I know, certainly, if you start to look at the shared economy space, there's lots of really interesting work that's been going on in the clothing sector, isn't there, around whether it's designer clothing or clothing for special occasions, for example, and, and whole new business models that are springing up around that. Do you think that there is the sort of next big generation to come that will maybe embrace some of those concepts around reuse and the sharing economy and the right to repair in a way that we perhaps haven't really seen on a commercial scale to date? I think so, definitely. I think it makes sense intuitively. We live on a planet with a limited amount of resource and a growing population. The way in which we use and reuse those resources is going to become increasingly important. The demand and therefore cost of those resources is going to increase. And I think also the evidence so far bears that out. So I was quite involved with the recent Circular Fashion Summit 2020 report, which looked to size the market for circular fashion. And one of the key areas that we looked at in this was new business models. So secondhand markets, for example. And the, the change in these over the last five years is huge. The secondhand market is set to reach 64 billion in the next five years, according to a recent report from ThreadUp. The growth over the last five years, year on year, has been quite enormous 39% annual compound growth rate in this sector and as a result you see many many new brands starting up in a reuse re-commerce kind of space and you also see many large multinationals starting to test out these new business models because they see them as being really valid. I think that it becomes increasingly important when we note the kind of problems we still have with waste. In the apparel sector, for example, we currently recycle about 12% of textiles, which is very, very low. So there's an enormous amount of wastage there. And that means an enormous amount of potential resource, a potential feedstock or potential product. So getting the value out of that, valorizing it is, is really important. Thanks, Susan. When I think of you within that thesis and with the work we do, I always have two key areas of, of focus, which seem to be quite diverse and contradictory. So you're leading our circular construction area, but you're also one of our key leads in the apparel and textile industry. How did you get those two bits combined and really develop an expertise in quite opposite directions from my point of view? <laughs> It's a really interesting question. And I think it's always funny how things come together over the course of one's career. I suppose I started out in sustainability consultancy in a, a pretty traditional route of sustainability with a focus on waste, like many people in our sector, and then that growing through into resource efficiency as the agenda has evolved and pushing the boundaries out from that into circular economy, which, you know, I think is now such a big focus in this area. And as that evolved, I've had the opportunity, as you, as you rightly identified, to work across a few different sectors. Construction is one of them. I've worked in construction since I began work in Australia, where I'm from originally, and have continued working in that sector for a long time. I really enjoy it. I like that it creates a 
visual product that you can see something that's tangible in an industry that's really practical you know people like to see things done pragmatically and practically in construction I love that and maybe that's one of the similarities with the apparel sector which I've worked in over the last decade or so it's also about creating really tangible products so that I think is one similarity between them they are also really really different they're creating different types of things but all sectors that we work in are so different and having experience in one and seeing the way in which circular economy is implemented in it I think can actually be really useful to take to another every sector comes at this from a different angle and there's so much that the different sectors can learn from each other. Susan, you remind me of something I heard yesterday. I attended GreenBiz, which is the very large sustainability conference for the US. And I was fortunate enough to listen in to some of the sessions that were being run virtually last night. And there was a session on circular economy. And one of the speakers said, everything that is new is in fact old. And I thought that's really interesting in circular economy because it's so true. We are moving things between sectors as different sectors or different parts of the business agenda come online with this thinking. So So, you know, if I think back to the sort of beginning of my career, it was local authorities who were driving the recycling agenda, for example. And then recycling sort of as as a buzzword became a bit old fashioned. And we started talking about the private sector leading circular economy. And and like you, you know, I worked with RAP in the earlier parts of my career where there was a huge focus on the construction sector because of the resource efficiency savings, financial and environmental that could be realised in that sector. And again, you know, the learnings from that were sort of taken into the next project, things like the projects for retail, the projects for the food and hospitality sector, and the huge amount of work that you guys have done in the clothing and textile sector was sort of the next evolution of that. And and I see this as a great opportunity for people just to be learning from other sectors and, and moving that learning across into the next sort of big era of opportunity. And I suppose that leads me to, to ask you, because it was a question that was asked of this speaker at GreenBiz. So if everything new is in fact old. What do you think the next big hot topics are in circular economy from your global perspective that you have in the centre of excellence? Mm, Great question. I think that there are several and that's because the circular economy agenda is so broad and it is evolving so quickly. I mean, the the progress and implementation, the case studies of real circular economy being embedded that we see now, who would have thought even five years ago that we would see so much progress? I think Some of the key areas that I see from what we see across the technical specialisms within circular economy and thesis and within our clients are, first of all, collaboration. Also, the just transition to circular economy. What does this mean for the global south, for developed and developing countries? But one that I think we really see is coming to the fore now and will be very important over the next five years is circular economy in relation to climate change. The circular economy agenda and the net zero or climate change agenda are twin challenges. You know, they're two halves of the same coin and they have to be addressed in tandem. And I think that's a really interesting challenge that we're facing that many people are starting to synthesize. It makes sense, doesn't it? That's really interesting, Susan, because I think what we also find is that it hadn't occurred to me that they might actually not be aligned. But I think with some of the research and some of the work we have done, you can actually see that while it's a really good circular route, 
but it's not the best route for low carbon. So looking, for example, at plastics recycling technologies. And I think that's that's a bit of a new thought for me. So I, I completely agree. I think that's a really good point. Yeah, I think it is too. It's The picture is very complex and it becomes more complex as we consider this interplay between you know, low carbon and circular economy and how to align those. There often are no right answers, closed loop, open loop, mechanical recycling, chemical recycling. Each of them has very different applications, very different implications, very different costs, very different carbon impacts. And having robust ways to quantify circular economy opportunities and is very important. As, and then also having a clear set of guiding principles you know what's the north star a clear picture of what your business is aiming for in terms of circular economy and carbon can help formulate the right response and sometimes also a geography issue uh it's kind of like it depends on where it is if it's kind of like is it in the americas is in europe debbie you wanted to to agree with that or got the the same thought A very similar thought. Yeah, I mean, we've been having this conversation with what we call a community in practice in the Anthesis Sustainable Products team just over the last two years or so. And the community in practice is made up of a number of our leading clients who are trying to address exactly this issue. And I I was reminded of it because you mentioned plastics, particularly, where the climate and circularity goals don't always fit side by side. So there's been such a a strong focus recently in trying to reduce the amount of plastic because of the very visible presence in sort of the natural environment, which results from leakage. And we therefore have seen a large number of businesses and organisations sign up to commitments to reduce plastic. But when you look at some of those plastic solutions in the holistic frame, a net zero or a climate goal, sometimes actually moving to a substitution option doesn't make as much sense in that climate perspective. So I think the really interesting thing that some of the leaders are looking at in this space at the moment are where do those two things align? So where is net zero or or a climate goal actually going to align with a circularity goal? And where, therefore, as Susan says, does that create a sort of alignment with the North Star or the overarching vision? And where maybe are difficult choices going to have to be made where something is prioritised? And we get often into these conversations about materiality. So what's the so what? You know, well, actually, if we do this substitution and it's substantial, but for a very small part of the portfolio, or it might actually achieve the plastic commitment, for example, without having a massive negative effect on the climate goals. But I think there are still really, really big voids in people's knowledge and understanding in terms of the methods and the tools and so on to address this. And and in fact, I think, Susan, correct me if I'm wrong, I think in, in circular economy terms, trying to work out how the net zero implications play into this agenda is still quite an immature science. Most people, I think, haven't quite grappled with that yet. Would, would you say that's fair? I think that's fair to say. It, it is a very complex area and it's also a new way to look at it. These kind of big agendas of net zero, the climate change agenda and circular economy are sort of just starting to come together. But actually, one of our colleagues, Jim Farver, who's often called one of the grandfathers of LCA, has just in the last month or so co-authored a really useful paper on this, looking at life cycle assessment, one of the key tools that we use in any kind of carbon assessments. 
in relation to circular economy, looking at the alignment and the gaps and the challenges. And I think that we'll see more and more of that coming through as people start to try and find the best ways to align these agendas. Part of the reason I think for that is because at a global level, these are so important. The European Commission, as you know, has adopted the Circular Economy Action Plan. That is really one of the key building blocks of the European Green Deal. And the reason for that is it's all about setting a new framework for a sustainable economy. It's really, really important to be able to deliver on the Paris commitments, the the net zero commitments that nations and municipalities and companies have set, but also stimulate a strong economy. And a lot of that is going to be through low carbon materials, which is low embodied carbon, you know, very much a key part of circular economy, clean innovation, new virtuous loops, new business models, enhanced productivity, you know, lean operation, resource efficiency, and all of those things are encompassed within the circular economy. So I think it is really important. Claudia, I know you've done some really interesting work looking in detail on this for specific organisations who are are looking into secondary commodities and secondary commodities markets. And that, I think, is really pertinent. What we did is, for example, with Close Loop Partners, we looked in detail at plastics recycling from the circularity end. And then we did in, in the North America, and then we did a project in cooperation with eFortech for the World Economic Forum, where we looked again at the plastic supply chain, but from the low carbon end. So basically two projects tackling it with different priorities and different goals or objectives. And that was really interesting. And then understand how different technologies fit into it, how it's relevant in different sectors. For Closed Loop, in in cooperation with Environmental Clarity, we did a really detailed environmental impact analysis. And one of the key framing factors was, for example, that a lot of the virgin plastics are mainly produced through heat, which is a much more efficient resource, whereas plastics recycling, whatever you use, if you do mechanical or the new advanced recycling methodologies, all rely on electricity and that electricity and the impact of the carbon grid is enormous. So if you build a plant with hydrogen or really clean green grid, they look really good and they have huge benefits in terms of carbon savings. But if you have a very coal-based grid, then those advantages against virgin production are not that great. And because at the moment we are very focused on carbon, I think you really need to look at the energy balances. And that was one of the, the big advantages in a new methodology developed looking at the energy that's used when you're recycling things and the energy that you use when you are word in production. And that includes soil, water, and so on. So really a holistic, natural capital accounting approach via energy as a comparing factor. And I think that thinking and that more holistic thinking to take everything into account and really extend LCA as we know it is really important to provide sufficient information to make good decisions and also maybe to tackle this slight conflict between CO2, net zero and circularity. I think one of the areas I would love to ask you about is more about the different sectors and how you find women in waste. Women in these sectors can progress 
and if you really feel there are different ways and different opportunities in the the two sectors you've been working in? It's an interesting question. I think as far as the sustainability side of these and any other sectors go, women are really well represented. We know, for example, from the most recent IEMA survey, that in sustainability as a sector, we're about 60% women. So we are the majority in this sector. That really surprises me. Mm. I didn't expect that at all. IEMA have been doing these annual surveys um, for quite a few years now, and it's been tracking, you know, representation across the sector, across different groups, different diverse range of race, religion, gender, all of those kind of things. And I think it's really interesting to look at that. And, you know, um, I guess my take on it is we are the majority as, as women in this sector and we need to act like it with high expectations and with sensitivity for those who are minorities or who need our support. And we also need to have the expectations that the sector will be representative. If we're 51% of the population and 60% of the sector, that's quite important. A while ago, I heard Solitaire Townsend, one of the founders from Futura, say something that gave a really great take on this. She said equality should be the norm. It should be the expectation. And where it's not that means an organisation has a problem. There's something odd about an organisation that isn't representative. So in the same way that organisations with a bad track record on sustainability are now beginning to, to struggle to recruit, to struggle to demonstrate good governance, I expect that we'll see that organisations that don't have a norm, i.e. 50% proportion of women in senior management and at board level, will start to struggle to perceived as desirable places to work or to invest in, or a valid voice in shaping this new greener economy that we look towards. So looking at the excellent talent that we have in the sector, I think there's, there's no excuse. We need to expect equality. So it's really about distribution, isn't it? Because I think I got some project where I probably have a nearly an all-women team which is really interesting. Then projects where it's kind of like a good 50-50, but then also probably more traditional teams where I'm the odd one out or me and somebody on the client side is the odd one out. So I think that's probably maybe the next bit to tackle to have a better distribution across and also recognise that you need the diversity across gender, other issues to really make sure you have a working team and you get the best out of everybody. Completely. I completely agree. Diversity is just key, isn't it? You know, that's why we need diverse boards. We want to avoid groupthink. The best decisions are made when you see loads of different perspectives. Yeah, that's really interesting, especially because you're working in two sectors where there's reuse, repair, maybe not repair, but the reuse sort Mm -hmm. is really important. But also FMCG and packaging has become a huge issue around the ownership who owns the waste who's allowed to repair it who's allowed to work with it but I know both of you Debbie and Susan you have worked a lot in packaging so maybe if you could give a bit of perspective from both of your sets of experience the projects you've worked on I think that would be super interesting 
Well, I'm happy to start. I think packaging is still in its relative infancy in terms of what it can achieve. So to Susan's point, there is a lot to go at here. But there are also some really great case studies of the leaders taking initiative around some of these agendas. So the first thing that we see when you look at somebody going on this journey is the need to understand what their packaging portfolio looks like. So they come with these goals of circularity or goals to reduce the amount of packaging that they're producing to reduce recycled content and recyclability of the packaging. They come with these these goals, but perhaps without an understanding of how they fit in their portfolio. So the collection of that information is first and foremost. And then as organisations go on that options analysis, how are we going to close the gap to goal? They begin to come up with maybe more and more innovative solutions, starting with the low-hanging fruit. You know, it's relatively easy maybe to lightweight pack or to take some excess headspace or seam space out of something. It's a lot more complex when you start looking at the sorts of things that really lead us towards the circular economy around reusable packaging. So within that, you get to all sorts of complexities about how fit for purpose that reusable packaging is within the supply chain, whether there is the appropriate behaviour in that supply chain, whether it's secondary and tertiary packaging that maybe isn't consumer facing, or whether it's the consumer facing packaging, which you're trying to get into that reuse loop, it can become very quickly quite complicated with a lot of stakeholders involved. And I think Susan mentioned earlier on that circular economy is a lot about collaboration. And it is, it's something that most organisations can't do on their own. And often they can't even do it within their direct sphere of influence. So we see increasingly people, not just in packaging, but across a number of different sectors and commodities and materials, having to work with downstream recycling partners, for example, who they maybe haven't really had much engagement with outside of their waste contracts in the past. But having to understand if you want to put a recyclable logo on your pack format, you have to understand what's going to happen to it downstream. You have to make that claim to be authentic and legitimate. You have to make it in the knowledge of what's going to happen to that pack at the end of its life. And so this whole idea of of trying to form partnerships and collaboration and and find pre-commercial space where within the packaging arena, you can activate these circular economy opportunities, I think is a really interesting opportunity for leadership. And I think the, the other part is also that people are underestimating. They understand that they got tier one, two, three, four suppliers in the supply chain, but you often have a similar complexity on the waste side. So you have your broker and then you have maybe have your contractor and then you have the first treatment side, second treatment side, third treatment side. So you need to understand that reverse supply chain as well as you understand your normal supply chain. And I think, Susan, from your perspective, can we learn across? the sectors? Yeah, I think definitely. I think it's really interesting seeing how different sectors are addressing circular economies. So, for example, Debbie was just speaking about packaging and in FMCG and food and beverage, packaging has been a real leader, hasn't it? You know, people have really started to focus on packaging and hone in on how they can address circular economy in that aspect. Whereas I think in, say, for example, in the apparel sector or in the built environment sector, it's much more about the product, if you like. You know, they're they're focused a lot on how to address that element. And so there are lessons to be learned across the board as you transfer it between sectors. One of the interesting things I think that's that's happening at the moment in the built environment sector, which links to what you were just talking about, Claudia, is the concept of buildings as material banks. So the amount of value 
of materials that goes into a building or an infrastructure asset is enormous. And these assets, these materials are locked away in buildings for a very long time. But what we really need to be able to do is not only look to reuse those buildings and repurpose them where they can, obviously, first, but then where we can't reuse them to be able to extract as much of that material as we possibly can to be able to use it again without having to start from scratch. And so the concept of building passports and materials passports where when we have a building using the building information modeling system, the BIM system, we log what materials have gone into the construction of that building so we can extract them when it comes time for demolition or a buildings as materials banks approach, which kind of sees the whole building as being a place where those materials are temporarily stored to be taken out at another time. And that changes the approach at end of life. So rather than focusing on just knocking it all down, we focus on dismantling it and deconstructing it so as to minimise the kind of time and efforts that's involved in getting at those resources again. Super, that is really interesting. And I think this discussion has really shown that there is a huge opportunity to look across the value chain at the materials levels. And it's really important. There are lots of exciting opportunity to, for transfers and transfers transfer learnings, transfer experience from different parts of the life cycle and across the different sectors, as diverse as packaging, closing, constructions, and probably a lot more. So thank you very much, Susan. Yeah, thanks very much, Susan, for sharing your insights on the circular economy. It's great to hear about your career. Unfortunately, that brings us to the end of this podcast. Next time, we're going to be joined by an external colleague, Floor, who is the sustainability manager for McDonald's. We're going to be discussing a little bit about McDonald's journey and the approach that they've taken to sustainability implementation, looking specifically at recycling. And we're also going to explore some impacts of global regulations on import and export of wastes and management of waste in the post-pandemic era. So until then, if you have any comments or questions, or if you'd like to raise anything about what we've been discussing, please feel free to get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can contact us via the Anthesis Group website or email us or reach out to Claudia and myself on LinkedIn. We hope you'll join us again and thank you very much for listening. Goodbye.